Our Old Testament reading and our New Testament reading both point us to the Word of God, to Scripture, as God has, has given it to us as His will for faith and life. So our Old Testament reading is from Psalm 119. We're going to read verses 25 through 40, and then we'll be reading 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through chapter 4, verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness. Give me life. Then from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and following. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We say this every Sunday, and you reply to it every Sunday the same, but as you say this, as we have this, this portion of our worship, remember that what we're speaking is truth. Make certain that you are thankful. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. I would encourage you to bring your Bible. Not only is it a, a good habit to be in, 
but it's also a way in which you can make sure that we're not lying to you when we read these texts. Because you, you'll see the scripture sheet. We could be changing the words. I'm teasing. Um, but do bring it. It's a good habit to be in. But it also is what we're talking about. And that is we are in the word of God. For it is the only, only thing from which we preach. We don't preach according to the social norms. We don't preach our own little wills and things. We preach according to the Word of God. And it will be also a blessing to your children to see you uh, turning in your Bible and to your grandchildren. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through chapter 4, verse 4 is what we're going to be reading in just a moment. But there's a phrase in the Reformation days that says, Ecclesia Reformata. Semper Reformanda. And what that means is the church is reformed and always reforming. Dr. Robert Godfrey wrote an article in Table Talk magazine several years ago. He is a theologian and church historian. But I'm going to read to you what he wrote about that phrase. And I want you to listen. He said, reformed and always reforming, those who misuse the slogan end up saying something like this, the Reformation had to change things that were wrong in the church, and we have to continue changing things that are wrong with the church. We have to make Christianity more understandable and relevant today. We have to strip away formalism and legalism so that we can get on with the great work of evangelism. We must be always reforming. At first glance, this use of the slogan may seem good. All of us want Christianity to be vital, understandable, evangelistic. But too often, those who are always reforming are in fact moving away from the Reformation and its great concerns about the Bible and justification, about worship, preaching, and the sacraments. They are simplifying or minimizing Christianity in ways that leave out many of the great concerns of biblical truth. Now listen to this last sentence. Always reforming comes to mean increasingly conforming to the demands and standards of the world. I think that is a powerful statement. For it is exactly where we are. It's exactly what we see. We see it in the church. We know it. John preached on uh, this last week in many ways. And he asked me if I would preach on this passage this Sunday. He normally doesn't do that to me. He normally lets me pick, but he asked me if I would do this. So that's what I'm doing. When your boss says preach, you preach. Um, years ago, I was meeting with a man in preparation um, for preaching his mother's funeral. And as I was meeting with him, um, it became apparent that as I spoke about his mother's faith, that he actually was not a believer. And he said to me, as I was talking to him about his faith, 
He said, Bryant, I would find it so refreshing to hear just one preacher say, look, I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. I believe that Christianity is the true religion, but I just don't know about these others. You know, Muhammad, Buddha, and the rest. I would find that really refreshing because we don't really know. His perspective is not as unusual as some of us might think. His perspective is actually quite um, pervasive throughout our entire culture, and not just the world, in the church as well. The first question, is the Bible the Word of God, is the question of truth. My belief about it means nothing. My belief about it is irrelevant. It is the Word of God. It testifies that it is the Word of God. It is in its, in its connectivity, in, its, in the way that it flows together, the internal witness of Scripture and the internal witness of the Holy Spirit tells us that this is the Word of God. It's not a matter of, I believe, so that means it's important. It's, it is, and I believe that. It was the battle cry of the Reformation when it was said, sola scriptura, that everything in the Word of God that is necessary for salvation and everything that is necessary for us to know in order to know God and to know how to please Him, it's, it's equally clear to the learned and the unlearned. It's equally clear to um, those who are high in social status and those who are low in social status. It's equally clear, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter what your gender, that when you come before the Word of God, it's very clear about His way of salvation and about what He desires of us and who He is. It's clear. But there's a second question. Since the Bible is the Word of God, since it is the Word of God, and it reveals these things very clearly, am I growing in my relationship with God, and am I seeking to please Him? Am I growing in that relationship? Am I seeking to please Him? Am I being conformed more and more to His image? Am I being sanctified? Several years ago, one of the covenant children of our church uh, wanted to talk to me about her, her plan of getting married, and her father contacted me first to explain to me why she needed to come talk to me. And I said, okay. And so she came, and we sat and talked. And after a little while of talking with her, I always, by the way, I always, I know John does too, we always counsel. We do premarital counseling with, with couples before they're married. That's a, that's a non-negotiable for us. So as we were, as we were talking, I said, now, I'm, you know, I want to I counsel with you before, and we'll have several times. And she said, well, there's a problem. And I said, what's the problem? Well, he's, he's not a Christian. 
And I said, I said, oh, I said, you know, you can't marry a non-Christian. I said, so why don't you come, bring him in here, let me talk to him, um, and let me share the gospel with him. Let me see if he is if he is receptive to coming to Christ and knowing him. She didn't want me to. She already knew that not only was he not a Christian, he was hostile to the church. He was hostile to the faith. And she didn't want to take a chance that I would run him off. What does the word of God say? The word of God says this. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes. Only in the Lord. (laughs) Only in the Lord. Then 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? And she didn't want to hear that. What was even more discouraging was that her mom didn't want to hear that. Her mom came to me and and really, I mean, I could have saved myself a world of trouble by going ahead and just doing this marriage. But I would have consigned them to a world of trouble from that point forward. She's completely abandoned the church. Her mother has left the church. Her father died subsequently. I found out where the stopping point was for this young woman. The stopping point with her and her mother and subsequently her father was the point where they stopped believing or submitting to the authority of the Word of God. Not my authority, but the authority of the Word of God. You see, it has implications for us, doesn't it? To submit to it, to to bring our lives into the reforming work of God's Word. That's what it means to be reformed. That I believe this is the Word of God, but it's not just a bare belief. It means I'm submitting to the reformation work that God does in my life and in the life of His church that we would submit to it. So listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through chapter 4, verse 4. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, we fully expect that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will approach us, that you will take your word as as that skilled surgeon, 
that you would pierce us and that you would heal us, that you will bring us into conformity to it, cause us in our wills to submit to this word, not to the one who preaches, but to your word. For you alone have the authority to demand that submission. Cause us as your people to be willing to hear. Open our ears or we will not hear. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So scripture has the authority because it is the word of God. (laughs) Sounds pretty simple. Let's wrap it up and go home. It is the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and you know the rest. John tells us that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word of God, as it penetrates into us, does something. It convicts us of sin. It encourages us with truth. It brings us into conformity with who he is. When you think of the Ten Commandments, when you think of the, those, that, that summary of the law, what do you see there? Do you see a list of do's and don'ts? Or do you see in the Ten Commandments a revelation of who God is? Do you see that he is, he is faithful, that he is not one who um, steals before he owns everything? Do you see that he does not lie? All of those things are given to his people to say, therefore, be like me, for I am God. I made you. I made you to image me, not just back to me, but to the rest of all of creation. I made you to image me to each other. So you must be in conformity with my word. And as he gives us his word, as we read his word, as as we understand that, that scripture is, as Paul writes, that it's, it's breathed out, it's exhaled by God. That it, is, that it comes from who he is. That we, when we come to his word and we say, I don't like that portion. I don't like it when I'm, I don't like to be rebuked. Anybody like to be rebuked? Anybody like to be reproved? Anybody like to be exhorted or corrected? It's not me, it's not John who are doing the reproof or doing the rebuking or doing the exhorting. It is God's word. And as we are seeking to be faithful to his word, that's what happens. I told, uh, t- told John, I can't remember how many times since I've been back here and sitting and listening to him preach. There's so many times when I've had to come up to him, I'm saying, I'm convicted. I'm so convicted. What, what you preached from his word is convicting me. It, it changes me. It's not fun to be convicted. But it's joyful if that conviction leads to repentance. 
as we bring our lives into that conforming to His Word, when we repent and turn back to Him, as we see things that perhaps we haven't seen before, that we may have sort of known, but we haven't seen it so clearly that my sin, my sin is there. You hear John say this. This is one of the things that I, that I have adopted from John over the years. And, you know, after years ago, hearing John preach and having him say, you know, if, if you know me like God knows me, you wouldn't want me to be your preacher. The other side of that is, of course, if I knew you like God knows you, I wouldn't want to be your preacher. We're, we're sinners. We're in desperate need of his, of his work within us to, as Hebrews says, that he is a sword, that sword that divides spirit and soul, that divides bone and marrow, that he penetrates us. And then he, then he as Calvin says, pervades our, our entire being with his truth, with his word that we would be finding ourselves more and more in conformity with it, with him. We must submit. This is what, when you read this, that this is breathed out for God, and it's profitable for teaching. And when you read that word teaching, it, it means to indoctrinate. That, I'm, I'm so tired of hearing people say that doctrine really isn't important as you think it is. It is extremely important because doctrine is truth. It is revealed truth that God gives to us. The reason I say that is I heard a man say that just yesterday. You are to be believing truth, teaching that it comes from His Word more and more and more in our culture and in our churches and from our pulpits. This is being less heard. It's diminished from reform pulpits where people are afraid to use. I noticed this years ago that I, I stopped hearing the great doctrines of our faith being spoken from reform pulpits. People don't want to use the word predestination. People don't want to use the word hell. People don't want to use the word sin. And the, and the more I listened, guess where I begin to hear those things much more clearly than from Presbyterian pulpits? Reformed Baptist pulpits. They weren't afraid of these things. They weren't afraid to preach these things. Why are we? Because we're conforming the church and his word to meet the cultural sensitivities. And God's word is not being preached clearly. For teaching and indoctrination, we must be submitting to his word. For reproof, think of this as conviction. Reproof. Calling someone out saying, this is wrong. You can't believe this. You cannot do this. You cannot think this. Because God's word says so. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction. How many of you are picture straighteners? Don't raise your hand. For correction. When people walk into a room, I don't care if it's your house or someone else's house or the doctor's office. I've seen them do it everywhere. They just can't stand it. They have to get up and walk over and just adjust it to where it's right, where it's level, where it's straight. That's what God's word does to us. He straightens us up. He he changes us. He corrects us. And for training in righteousness. And in all of that, Paul says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, you know that Timothy is a preacher, and he's a younger preacher, and Paul is writing him to encourage him, to let him, um, to, to give him confidence in preaching and not to be so caught up with his age, not to let other people look down on him because of his age. But he's saying, this is what you must preach and do and say. But he's not just talking to preachers. He's talking to everybody. He's talking to every single one of his children. Listen to what he says. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is, the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I think it would not be incorrect to say that time has come. That time is here. The time has now come when people are accumulating for themselves preachers who will, who will scratch their itch, who will tell them what they want to hear, who will simply say, no, I'll marry you to whoever you want to be married to. Or who will say, oh, yes, of course, I believe. I believe this is the word, but yes, you're right. You know, I don't know if those other religions all lead to the same God. I, you know, it's okay. For fear. For fear of losing salaries, for fear of losing way of life, for fear of losing friends, for fear of losing family, for fear, simply for fear, with no confidence in the Word of God that it is what it says, that He does what He says He will do with it, that it is good, that it is loving, that it is kind. But God warns us. He warns us even in this passage. He says, I charge you, Paul says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Who is he warning? He is warning Timothy. He's saying, you may get fearful. You may be afraid of men. You may be afraid of those who will, who will leave you, who will go away, who will not like you, who will hate you. 
who may even kill you. But I'm telling you, Timothy, there is one who is far more to be feared. It is the one who has the ability to destroy both body and soul in hell. That's the fear. So you obey God, not man. You obey His word, not the word of men. You do not negotiate on God's word. You don't even give it the countenance of light. And you bring your life into conformity with it. Folks, he's not just talking to Timothy. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. You do not have the ability to turn aside at will. You do not have the ability to go into untruth. You're not at liberty to do that. You must, you must, you must be seeking to conform your life to the Word of God to be always reforming. Many of us don't know what the first word or the first phrase or first um, of Martin Luther's 95 Theses were. The very first thesis that he printed was when God said to repent, he meant that we were to repent daily, that we were to be repenting, ongoing, that we are to be always repenting, always turning back. Why? Because we always sin. We always come back to him. We always come back to his cross. How is this possible? Jesus Christ, if you look at your scripture sheet in John chapter 17, verses 15 through 19, Jesus is praying what we refer to as the high priestly prayer. It's where he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for us, those who will believe in his word as a result of the writings of the disciples. Listen to what he, what he says in his prayer. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's a verse that you need to memorize. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. That's his prayer for us. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So that we'll be equipped for every good work. So that we will be able to stand against lies. That we'll be able to stand against what Satan throws at us. And so we'll be able to stand against what our own flesh throws at us. The truth, the truth of the word of God is all we have. And as his Holy Spirit takes that word and applies it to us, we, are, we find ourselves conformed and wanting to conform I know many of you are troubled, just as I have been, as we have seen uh, the news of these past several weeks. 
And as you've seen, as you've seen the, the difficulty that comes across our southern border, and we know, I mean, everyone in their common sense knows that those unsavory characters that did the, did the attacks, the same ilk have crossed our borders and are in our country right now. Now, I got to tell you something. I have to pray that God would make me a good martyr. I'm not kidding. I'll tell you why. I hate pain. I really do. I'm not kidding you. I am the biggest chicken. Karen is a nurse. Karen knows it. She always knows this. She says, you're a wimp when it comes to pain. I am the worst wimp when it comes to pain. I mean, if they're going to cut my head off, I hope that they'll give me all the sedatives first. Not, I know it's funny, and I, I meant that to be a little bit funny. But do you know that when or if that day comes, you're not going to stand by conforming. Conforming will be falling. You will stand on, on his word, on the truth of his word. You will stand according to that truth and no other. There's no other way to go. Because we all know that we face our Lord one day. And as Paul says, he will be there as the judge of the living and the dead. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, the author of Hebrews writes, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. John Calvin comments on this passage, and he writes this, God's word pierces or reaches to the dividing of soul and spirit. That is, it examines the whole soul of man, for it searches his thoughts and scrutinizes his will and all its desires. And then he adds the joints and marrow, intimating that there is nothing so hard or strong in man, nothing so hidden that the powerful word cannot pervade it. Now, notice Calvin does not say penetrate it. He didn't say that the powerful word of God cannot penetrate it. He said pervade it. That it takes over. That the sword, in essence, enters in and spreads out into us. That it becomes such a part of us that we cannot escape it because we are changed. We're altered. So I ask you, are you in submission to the word of God? Are you open to rebuke, to reproof, to instruction, to indoctrination? I pray you are. Because Dr. Godfrey is absolutely right. 
Always reforming does not mean always changing or changing the application of the Word of God, much less the actual meaning of the Word of God to make it more palatable to to the surrounding culture. It means that we bring ourselves to the Word of God, that we would be changed, that we would be different. If you didn't have the Word of God, answer honestly to yourself. If, we, if you did not have the Word of God, would your life be any different than it is right now? Think about that. I, I have been reading this passage and all these other passages all week long. It is convicting. Would your life be any different if you did not have the Word of God. If, it's, if you say, yes, my life would be different if I did not have the Word of God, praise the Lord. If you say, no, not really, in the honesty of your heart, it really wouldn't be that different if I didn't have the Word of God. Folks, fall on your knees before Him. Ask Him to change you. Ask Him to bring you into conformity with His Word. Because if it wouldn't be any different without the Word, it may be that you don't even know Him. Fall before Him that He might change you. And let this be your prayer from Psalm 119. Verses 25 through 40. My soul clings to the dust. In other words, I cling to this life. So give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments. When you enlarge my heart, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. Are you reformed? Are you reforming? Come to his word and let it do its work. 
we're about to come to the table of Jesus Christ. In this table, you'll see the visible word, the sensible word, the word of his body and his blood, that his body and blood were broken and shed for us. And as we take them, we are preaching that to ourselves and to those around us saying, I am a sinner and I need this. I need Jesus. I must have him. Amen.